I often feel that my job is to be a cheerleader for the church. It's a job I'm glad to do always, but it doesn't usually take the form of actually cheering in church. Um, but thank you to Amy for that children's time. A great prelude for a sermon uh, today. Remember the love of God, the way of Jesus. Each Sunday, the Revised Common Lectionary provides Christian preachers with four texts to use in worship and for sermons. While some committee chose those texts years ago, I'm continually amazed, sometimes amused, at how often those texts seem to be just the word we need to hear for this Sunday in this place. I think it happened again for me this week. Maybe the Spirit actually is at work. Today, two of those lectionary texts spoke out at me, one suggesting a pastoral sermon, the other a prophetic message. By that, I mean that pastoral texts provide comfort in times of need, and prophetic ones offer a sometimes uncomfortable challenge. The old quip says that the gospel comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. In recent weeks, Amy and I have focused on the pastoral word, comforting the afflicted, believing that in this time of global crisis, that word of solace has been needed. But it's the prophetic text that speaks to me especially today. I hope you will be open in Park Road fashion to hear that word today. But first, I'd like to at least read for you the gospel text to frame the prophetic message in a pastoral tone. As Jesus was preparing to leave his disciples, the Gospel of John records a long message that Jesus gives to his disciples, including these words, I will ask the Father, and God will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because the world neither sees nor knows the truth. But you know the truth because truth abides in you, and truth will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. Please trust this day that you have not been abandoned. Even if you're sitting at home, you are not alone. Even as the country begins to open up, there's still a lot of isolation, but take comfort. Jesus did not leave us orphaned. He gave us to one another to be community for one another, even in this way. And he is with us day by day as the spirit of truth, for the truth will set us free. That's the gospel text, comfort in isolation. And it prepares us well, that word of truth, for a prophetic word. As the Apostle Paul was traveling around the ancient world, spreading a new message of good news and hope, he hit all the major cultural and commercial centers. He would stay long enough to meet a few folks, and with, with his charismatic personality, it did not take long for him to form a new congregation in each place. Seven churches around the Mediterranean world became the basis of a worldwide movement that eventually became known as Christianity. In today's text, recorded in, in the book called The Acts of the Apostles, Paul has gotten ahead of his traveling party. He arrives in Athens before they do. And this episode takes place in ancient Greece. But it could be the United States of America in the 21st century. See if you can hear it. 
While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, those gods in that form were little statues all over the city, but maybe we have our own idols. So Paul argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. You see, Athens was a cosmopolitan city attracting people from around the world. It was a melting pot of cultures and ideas, just like the United States is by design. Some said to him, what does this babbler have to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because Paul was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, this is interesting. In Greek, Jesus is Jesus, and resurrection is Anastasis. And it sounds like two names, Jesus and Anastasis. Some thought he was proclaiming two new gods to them. He was talking about Jesus and resurrection. So they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus. That's that place where the Athenians would hold their court. And they asked him there, may we know what is this new teaching that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. And I wondered when I read this this week, if Paul were here today preaching his good news of Jesus and resurrection, would it sound strange and new even to many Christians? Was American Christianity conflated nationalism and exceptionalism what Paul was preaching? I think Paul's message might actually sound as different to some American ears as it did to the Athenians. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling and hearing something new, and they didn't even have an iPhone. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus, and he said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. Remember that, extremely religious in every way. Christopher Hitchens, the late uh, evangelist for atheism, loved to say that religion poisons everything. I'm not a fan of Mr. Hitchens, but I wonder if there's some truth that we can gain from his criticism. For as I went through the city, Paul says, and looked carefully at the objects of worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now, this is funny. There were statues all over this religious city, idols throughout the city, naming every single god. Paul even found a statue to an unknown god. You see, the Athenians felt the need to cover their bases. Just in case we've left out one of the gods, this statue is for you. What therefore you worship as unknown, Paul said to them, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, the one who is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is this God served by human hands as though God needed anything, since it is God who gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, God made all nations to inhabit the whole earth and allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God, 
and perhaps grope for God and find God. Though indeed God is not far from each one of you, for in God we live and move and have our being. I see how extremely religious you are in every way. So let me tell you about Jesus and resurrection. You have heard the ancient story. Let us listen now for the word of the Lord. I want to suggest to you today that Paul's experience may be our own experience if our eyes are open. There is a lot of religion in the United States, just not enough Jesus. We are religious in every way. We've made a religion of football. We pay ungodly prices for tickets and jerseys to support ungodly salaries to watch grown men play a child's game, while in every city, in the shadow of the temples we have built to the gridiron God, children live in homelessness and go to school hungry. Increasingly, people go to church only if there's nothing better to do, but they wouldn't miss a Panthers game if it was 20 degrees below zero. And who can afford to tithe these days with the price of today's Clemson Ipte dues? Now, I'm not taking a pot shot at you football fans out there. Most of us have a sport of our choice. I'm just noting the obvious. Sports is religion. Many Americans do not worship anywhere else. We are religious in every way. Some years ago, I used the phrase military-industrial complex in a sermon, and one family walked out and never came back. The husband took great offense, even though I was quoting the 34th president of the United States, who was also, like the husband, a Republican. And I was offering the same warning that Dwight Eisenhower had given in his 1961 farewell address when he warned that our nation must, and I quote, guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence by the military-industrial complex, end quote. Before the current administration cut funding for education and assistance programs to dramatically magnify the military budget, the United States of America was already spending more on the tools of war than the next eight nations combined. I was not wrong to say that Eisenhower was right, and I had not overstepped my pastoral bounds to remind a Christian congregation that budgets are moral documents and that prioritizing military spending in such a grotesque way surely contradicts our calling to follow the prince of peace. The religion we have made of militarism itself is frightening. I'm sure by now you have seen the recent pictures of those warriors on state capitol steps or standing guard at tattoo parlors and hair salons. They are clad head to toe in the armaments of war, most of which you can buy at Walmart. They stand with mean faces and angry AR-15s, and they are ready to die for their cause, no matter that the enemy is only trying to promote public health. 
Now, it was a political error a few years ago, an unfortunate lapse in rhetoric, but our former president was not wrong to observe the ways that God and guns are equated for so many people in this country. It is a religion of bravado and violence that has, in practical effect, added the Second Amendment to the Ten Commandments. We are in every way. Yesterday afternoon, Bennett and Amy and I took our bikes and we rode five miles down and back along the beautiful McAlpine Creek Parkway. It was a wonderful ride. Near Idlewild Road, there's a massive new construction site. And we rode up to discover a new temple that is being built by our friends in the Hindu community. One couple pulled out of the parking lot as we were coming up and they rolled down the window to speak. We told them who we were and that we had been involved in a small worship, in a worship service in their small existing building. That was a Mech Men service some years ago. The couple smiled warmly at that, and they urged us, go in and see the construction. It is a magnificent building with ornate columns of pinkish carved sandstone, just beautiful. And as we stood there, just looking around, Amy commented to Bennett, that this is apparently what Ahmad Arbery did that faded day in February. Just look around the construction site before he was profiled and targeted for vigilante violence, tracked down and shot to death as he tried to continue an afternoon jog through the neighborhood. It took more than a month for authorities to arrest two white men, charging them with murdering an unarmed jogger and as soon as they were arrested, a group formed, a movement that is now plastering social media with calls for justice for the gunmen. The battle lines are drawn. And you can be sure that religion is already being used to justify defensive arguments and indefensible violence and to further consolidate the lines of race within our religious understandings. We are religious in every way. In a critical but insightful article entitled, It's Time to Reject the Gods of Commerce, America is a Society, Not an Economy, writer David Masiotra speaks powerfully to an issue that the Bible knows so well, and that is our love of money. He says starkly, the COVID-19 pandemic has forced the United States to confront its market-based theology. Americans now must consider whether their country is anything more than an engine of commerce and whether human life has value separate from a financial calculus. For the first time in most of our lifetimes, the question of priorities is direct and implicates almost everything. Of course, everyone needs a job. Yes, making a living is necessary and a good thing. But sacrificing the elderly and our most vulnerable populations on the altar of commerce is not a choice Christians can make. We are religious in every way. Finally, I suggest to you, because we are religious in every way, even the way of Jesus has become a religion. 
His simple movement of love and justice has become the largest religion in the world, complete with all the trappings of dogmatic privilege, institutional polity, ecclesiastical piety. Sadly, Christianity is now guilty of all the abuses that have ever been associated with any religion. Too often, the church chooses dogma over decency, hypocrisy over integrity, condemnation over compassion, secrecy over honesty, arrogance over humility, dominance over submission, notoriety over service power over principle, and political alliance over discipleship. Perhaps more than in any other nation, many American Christians have wrapped their faith in the flag of the nation, baptizing the myths of American exceptionalism and manifest destiny, sanctifying a civil religion in which most Americans cannot distinguish their patriotism from their devotion to God. We are religious in every way. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, himself a devout Jewish convert to the way of Jesus, he looked at the culture around him and he said, you are religious in every way. Now let me give you Jesus and resurrection. God is not some tribal deity to be appeased with sacrifices, assuaged by the adulations of rituals of worship. God is that spirit of life in whom we live and move and have our being. God is the air of true life that we breathe. Jesus gave us God, a way that makes meaning of life. He did not just punch our ticket to heaven. In a world of selfishness, which justifies its abuses by, even by religious convictions, Jesus gives us an example of sacrificial living that always puts the other person first. It's always us, never me. He offers forgiveness and acceptance, not judgment and condemnation. His only criticism was for the religious. He offers welcome to the stranger, the outsider, the outcast, the foreigner, the immigrant, in a grace of unconditional love. He offers a way that leads to life, not religious rules that often lead to self-abuse and doubt. The United States is the most religious of all the world's industrial, industrialized societies, but there is ample evidence various measures of health and happiness that our religiosity may be failing us. And religion never has been the answer, but it can point us to Jesus. I see how extremely religious you are in every way, so let me tell you about Jesus and resurrection. May it be so. Amen.